welcome to the Faith for Work podcast from Biblical Business Training. We want to inspire you to live your values and your faith at work. In this podcast, we interview thought leaders and everyday people who are intentional about bringing their faith outside the walls of the church. Today's guest is someone who's been instrumental in building BBT's culture. He speaks to groups about how to build high-performing teams, taking performance beyond the top 1% to the top 0.01%, and debriefing your work to bring extreme focus and precision to what you do every day. Greg, the boss Woldridge, is the only commanding officer to lead the Blue Angels for three separate tours. He was first selected because of his demonstrated ability to build teams where communication, trust, and teamwork took precedence over rank and status. His heart-driven approach proved a perfect match for the Blue Angels' culture of excellence, and he was called back to lead two more teams through times of difficult transition. Since his success with the Blue Angels, Greg has been inspired to share his methods in order to empower individuals and teams on their journey towards high performance. From the very start of his career in the Navy, Greg was immersed in the building of great teams. In flight candidate school, he learned from the camaraderie of his class, an emotion that elevated individuals by first elevating the performance of the team. Later, acting as a commander of a carrier squadron, Greg discovered that teams which strive towards something greater than themselves unlock an ability to perform at extreme levels. And finally, when he was selected as the commanding officer of the Blue Angels, the Navy's and the world's premier flight demonstration squadron, Greg Woldrich experienced what it's like to take one's dreams and beliefs on an upward spiral into the beyond. Without further ado, here's our interview with Greg, the Boss Woldridge. Greg, tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, what path led you to becoming commanding officer of the Blue Angels? And, and how, as you've looked back, have you seen God's leading on that pathway? Great question, Jordan. I, uh, I you know, I was drawn to the Navy after college went to school at Blackburn, a little school in central Southern Illinois. And I got a degree finally after having struggles. I, you know, about a C average, but graduated. And then it was time to go serve my country. And I thought, well, what am I going to do that will give me training for later in life where I can, you know, have a profession and a career? I thought, well, I'll learn how to, I'll see if they'll let me learn how to fly you know, fly in the Navy. So, uh, so I got in the Navy. I flew, started flying, had some challenges along the way. And my, my life has been full of second chances. And, but, uh, I got into flying, uh, flew, uh, trainers, my first tour, which was a, a kind of a setback. Everybody wants to go right to what we call the fleet where the planes are flying off aircraft carriers. And then I got into carriers, uh, and, uh, on through, you know, a half a dozen squadrons and other duties. And finally, uh, there was a, a solicitation for a new leader for the Blue Angels. And uh, I actually was convinced by my junior officers that I should try. I didn't think I'd have a chance. And I, I made it to the finals. And then in the finals, I looked at the people I was competing with, commanding officer of Top Gun, uh, a couple other guys that I thought they're shoe ins. Well, I, I'm there's no way I'm going to get selected, so I was very relaxed in the in the in the yeah, interview process. 
spoke from my heart and uh, I was selected. And that's, that was my journey that uh, was uh, not full of rose petals, but full of rose thorns. But you know, you, you overcome I and mean, you're going to have, you're going to have obstacles, everything you try to do and you just have to persevere. And, and here's, you'll find this interesting, I believe. So you ask what, what spiritual uh, guides did I have? I, I was, you know, I was raised in church, uh, in the Methodist church, confirmed, uh, baptized. And then when I got in the Navy, I kind of lost my way. Right. And, uh, you know, just, just focused on career and nothing else. In fact, it, you know, I, when I talk to folks, uh, personally, I say, put your family first. I, I put my career ahead of my family, but had I been more attached to the Lord, I would have had a different, a different way of approaching that. So about four years ago, I became, uh, uh, born again. So that's, that's, that's what's driven me. And I look back at some of the things that I should have lost my life with, uh, you know, air, airplane, uh, uh, problems and things like that. And, uh, and I, and I, and I thank the Lord that, uh, he persevered <laughs> and, uh, finally, finally, uh, I left the door cracked open and he jumped into my life and it's been, changing. Uh, I just feel so, so enlightened, if you will. And that's, that's kind of a prideful word. And I, I don't mean to use that in that way, but, uh, the Lord has put light in my life. So the, the blue angels are, are a flight demonstration team. They're, they're known for flying under very close circumstances at very high speeds. Uh, and certainly it's a very specialized path. Um, but I was wondering what lessons from your time with the Blue Angels do you carry with you in your life and work now? When I got to the Blue Angels, I saw a way of doing business that I hadn't seen in, in almost 20 years of Navy life and, and in command of, of a unit. You know, it, it just changed. It was something totally uh, different in its transparency between all members of the squadron, uh, your willingness to divulge how you could do better because you had done this wrong, you know, without fear, fear removed. And that all goes back to the culture of the blue angels based on trust and gratitude. One of our favorite sayings every day, we said to each other, glad to be here because we genuinely were glad to be here. And that's what I found in the blue angels. that was, was changing. Um, so I, I'd have to say, uh, it, it gave me a perspective on life that I have been able to take forward from those days. Um, uh, a lot of the little sayings I have is uh, hold what you got. Don't flinch. Cause when you're flying, you know, 12 to 18 inches apart, if you see something that interrupts you or, or alerts you don't automatically make a, make a decision to make a move, think about it. And, and, and that's, that's something that you can use in the rest of your life. Right. And the other thing, uh, one of the other things I was, trained in to doing was, um, you fly the airplane, don't let it fly you. So when you get a new task, a new job, uh, promotion, you put there because you had the skill to do that. And the experience get out in front of your problems, stay on top of it. Don't let something force you off. So you have to keep making corrections corrections are okay, but try to be focused and, uh, 
you fly that airplane, you handle that problem. Don't let that problem drive you around. So there are a lot of things I took away from the Blue Angels and, um, and, but the, but the trust and the gratitude that imbued in a culture for starters can, can really, uh, bring you to a level of excellence and a level of understanding of each other that is beyond compare. You've been uh, traveling and, and speaking to a variety of audiences, and we at BBT were very blessed that our founder invited us his, uh, when his company had you to speak. And uh, there's something that's become a part of our culture and a part of their culture um, the DB, the debrief process that was used in the Blue Angels. Um, and, you know, that was a, a very specific process for the Blue Angels, but it, you've really helped us pull a lot of lessons from that for uh, the way that we work. So I was wondering what lessons can we take? Uh, what was that debrief process and what lessons can we take from it for our faith and work? Yeah, it's, it, first of all, you have to have a debrief, right? You have to decide to spend the time to talk about what you've just done. It could be just two people. Uh, I introduced debriefing to FedEx and flight operations because we had, we had a great safety record. And after a while it, uh, it, we started uh, breaking airframes and breaking, uh, breaking airplanes and we couldn't figure out why not no commonality. And I said, we never, we never debrief a flight and you can pick these beautiful learning points from every flight. But to go back to what you said about the Blue Angels, so it doesn't matter what size of a work group you have, you know, you're introducing a new uh, new product, a new idea, uh, and, and there's people that work together. So you need to have a way to talk about how that went. That's the starter right there. And you need to say, well, this is going to take a half hour, you know, or, or it could be taking two minutes. Could be walking down the hallway uh, with your uh, with your partner there, or your wingman, and saying, "Well, how do you think that went?" Well, the key is whoever is the leader, whoever is the boss, has to set the tone. The boss comes in in the debrief, and what I did, I'd come into the debrief and I say, "Well, you know, it was a pretty good day. I think we we got our flight out. I think the people enjoyed the the, pres- the demonstration." here are my safeties. Here's what I did wrong. You open that door, the transparency, the, uh, the take the fear out of that, that environment. You're trying to get to the, the right cause, the right cause of what created issues, not to get it in your own way, but to find the way that it happened the real way it happened. So I start out and I say, you know, I, I you know, I was 50 feet low at, at this one pass we did. And uh, I know what I was looking at. I got distracted and I can, I can fix that. So you take ownership of, of what you're saying you could have done better. So that's another key point of the debrief is the ownership and the, the accountability, right? But it's transparency. So I would say all that, you know, and I had these two or three things that I could have done better and I'll fix it. And then it goes to the, the wingmen start talking about it and then the support officers. But so in your group, you know, the leader comes in and opens up, says, you know, doggone it, I should have given you more time, more resources, uh, and, uh, you know, get specific and say, this is what happened. And, and next time, you're going to, you can be assured you'll have the assets to do better with this project or whatever it might be. And then the next person comes in line and says, to me, we say, yeah, boss, uh, 
uh, I, I turned right when I should have turned left, you know, with the airplane and, and, uh, and I'll fix it. And then, but I'm, I was out of position for this one maneuver and I've been out of position the last three times we've flown and I don't know how to fix it. So the, I fix it, I'll fix it is important, but if you don't know, you open up to the mentoring. There's always going to be somebody that's probably seen that same, that same, uh, challenge. And they'll say, well, this is how I handle this. And it, it's a loving mentoring environment. So you're transparent, you're open, you're not going to get fired. You're glad to be there. And we called it, we called it a glad to be here debrief. Um, but it was so different. It's just so darn different. When I go out and speak to companies and associations and teams and folks like that, that's the secret sauce. That's why I want to talk to you. I want to express to you how you can make your home life better, you know, for, for example, but your business better may bring you to the top of the performance pyramid. You know, I, I come from the ministerial world uh, before I came to BBT. And so something I tell people as they're preparing to lead their first Bible study in their workplace uh, is that one of the most powerful things you can do is to read the scriptures ahead of time, read the questions ahead of time, and think about a story from your life connected to that scripture uh, where you don't come off well at the end of the story. Uh, I, was, I was very attentive when I was pastoring to the fact that if I used examples from my own life, examples where I had messed up really needed to outnumber examples where I'd done well, uh, because it builds that freedom to, to share those vulnerable experiences with each other. And, that, and, and Jordan, that's so crucial because people love stories because 50% of the time they've, they may have experienced that same setback or challenge, right? And if you can admit as the leader that, yeah, you know, I screwed that up. And I, and I found my way forward through the Lord, uh, that gives people hope. Uh, uh, and it also gives them a path. So I, I think it's beautiful, beautiful. Well, that, that brings me to some of, of what you're doing now. You said God brought you back to faith uh, about four years ago. And you've begun working with an organization called Cap uh, Capital Ministries in the Pacific Northwest. Can you tell us a little bit about Capital Ministries and what you do with them? Capital Ministries is a, an incredible organization started by Ralph Drawlinger, who was a, a center at UCLA under John Wooden. So he had some pretty good mentoring along the way. He, he was the only college guy that played four years in the Final Four with John Wooden's the, the Wizard of Westwood's team. Uh, and, and he, he got into athletes in action, um, and he, and he came to love the Lord. And, uh, what he found was in the state of California, the people that drive public policy, politicians could use some spiritual guidance, right. And some help with making decisions and, and, what they're going to vote on or what they're going to present as public policy. So he would go to Sacramento to the state capitol and talk to these folks. Well, he went national about, I think, 10 or 12 years ago, and now he gives uh, Bible studies to create uh, disciples in Jesus Christ through the Bible studies. And it's not, it's message delivering in a, in a conversational way with really great content based on the Bible. And so what he did was he went out and got directors in each state and, uh, 
I heard about this from a friend that's in Oregon, and I have I have a residence in uh, in Washington State, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get selected to do that. Now, that said, uh, the pandemic really reduced our contact with uh, with the uh, legislatures in the various states. So I have not been able to fire that up where I want it to be. It's such a great cause, though, and it's so important that uh, people that are making decisions have the values that you can find in the Bible. The teachings are awesome. So I, I think it's a great, it's a great way of uh, uh, influencing the way laws are written and, and voted upon. So I, I'm a great proponent of Capital Ministries, and I think it's a fantastic organization. Anybody wants to get into that, uh, take a take a hard look at capmen.org is the way you find out about it. And we'll have that address uh, in the show notes so that you can check that out. If you're like me, listening while you drive, uh, you'll be able to check that out without having to write that down now. So obviously your, your life has taken some, some changes from when you were graduating Blackburn College and, and joining the Navy. You, your hope was to uh, come out of the Navy having uh, the ability to be a commercial pilot and not really the idea that you were going to be career, that you were going to fly jets, that you were, uh, and certainly probably not the idea that you were going to be at Capital Ministries either. Uh, so what significant changes in your life have, have led you to where you are now? Well, I will say the most impactful change was coming to the Lord. Uh, that, and it's only been four years, a baby Christian, right? I, I, it's funny when I do my keynote speeches now, I've had two people come up to me, two different keynotes, and they say, you're saved, aren't you? I said, well, I never said anything about that in my, in my remarks and my uh, uh, discussions. And they said, well, I can tell, you know, it's just, and it's just the way you have this positive spirit and the way you approach problems and challenges. So I would say that was the most impactful thing. I wish I'd allowed the Lord to enter my life as a young man. Uh, and I'll mention again that family would have been number one instead of career. So I, I, um, I fell short, frankly, uh, a lot in a lot of ways in life. I, and I still do. We're all flawed, right? But when I do fall short, I can turn to the Lord and uh, go into prayer. Not only when I fall short, when I, things are going positively, we also, you know, pray, pray without ceasing, I think. And so anyway, so you ask what were pivotal points. My life now is so different. Um, I'm just blessed. Thank you, Lord. Uh, earlier in life, you know, uh, just career opportunities, because all my life I just put career ahead of everything else, and doggone it, that was not, it wasn't as rich a life as I could have had. So, ah, you know, when you talk to somebody that's been given opportunities like I have to do things and and, you know, show you the ability to, you know, to succeed in those challenges and then to find out, you know, there's areas that we're soft in, right? And so I feel blessed now. Thanks, Jordan, for asking that. What advice would you have for someone struggling to bring their faith to work? Um, I would say be bold, 
I think there's a lot of great teachings in Timothy, um, uh, from Timothy's uh, writings. And be bold with your faith, but go in with that attitude of trust and gratitude, right? That can, that can bring you uh, immediately to being open and your openness um, eventually will lead to your reason for being so open and, and pleasant, if you will, uh, uh, that beacon on the hill, so to speak, um, that people can turn to you. At some point I'll say, well, what do you know about the Lord? You know, what, where, where do you get your spiritual uh, 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 nourishment? You know, and, and sometimes that works. But when it doesn't, that's fine too, and uh, you go forward. So that's what I would say about bringing your your sense of the relationship you have with Jesus into the into your workplace. Uh, and what's amazing is sometimes you can find other Christians that that, and then you can form those relationships, uh, which doesn't mean you exclude others. It means you reach out in time at all times, but especially in times of stress in their lives and, uh, and offer help or prayer if, and see how they take that on. But it, but it enriches the workplace. It, it's going to make it uh, a much more successful place because the values you, you bring in, you bring those values from the Old and New Testament, bring that, uh, bring that forward with you uh, as you, as you approach life. So I, yeah, it, it's just been you know, revolutionary for me to, to find my way this way. I, I really hear when you're saying that, you know, a, a lot of our potential group leaders who might start a Bible study at their workplace, they're, they're worried about the appropriateness that somehow their, their faith is a liability in the workplace. But you came from a culture with a strong emphasis on owning your mistakes and admitting your mistakes and explaining to people how you're going to make it right, which to me is, is very much so tied to the way that when you bring your faith to the workplace, you live a set of values that are an asset to the workplace, not a liability to the workplace. It's kind of ironic that, uh, that I did have that, that experience with the Blue Angels, the openness, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that the Lord teaches us, you know, you make mistakes uh, and the grace and mercy of God follows you and, and, and you know, brings you back to uh, a place where, you, you know, you don't fret over what you've just done. You now have a positive way to approach it. So, um, yeah, the, the Blue Angels were pivotal there in the way I do, way I look at life. But, but, I, but I always had the question. So let me uh, digress a bit. About 12 years ago, I had a cardiac arrest. And uh, I should have died. It was sudden cardiac, normal, normally it's called sudden cardiac death. So fairly healthy guy, you know, pretty fit. I've worked out, but I just, my heart went into ventricular fibrillation and uh, I should have, I should have passed away, but I was lucky to get eight minutes of CPR. And I've learned to take lucky out of the, that sentence and say, blessed, blessed to get eight minutes. So that was one of my many second chances. So eight minutes, I survived, uh, but my mind's going, what happens to all this? And this is before the Lord grabbed me, you know, um, 
what happens to all this spiritual energy that we have? You know, it just can't go away, right? This, this, all the, in your mind, these thoughts, they're not something you can, you can grab. It's not a piece of your body. It's, it's spiritual energy. Where does all that go? And so I looked for years and years and years. And then uh, I met someone who told me and explained to me the story of Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. And, uh, I, now I understood after that second chance uh, what life was about. I think I digressed off your question. And I apologize. No, that's excellent. And uh, you're you're setting up our our next to last question here, which is uh, when the Lord calls you home to to those who have gone on before us. Uh, what legacy do you hope that you will have left behind you in the world? You know, I, I got to do some pretty cool things, right? And it opens that opportunity for me, I like to work with uh, the Red Tail Cadets, which I'm doing in, in, in Oregon, the transitional youth, uh, working out of their foundations that are, uh, and BBT, obviously, I mean, uh, with you all, um, and just to, just to have a positive influence. So how do I want to be remembered just as the guy that flew his tail off, got to fly a lot of cool things, but was, uh, was kind, gentle, loved life, had gratitude for others, and, and uh, that, that I, you know, that they would say that I could trust. And that, that would be a legacy. I don't mean a street named after me or anything like that. I, you know, I don't, I don't reach out for that. I just want people to find the joy that I have found in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So last of all, if, if our listeners are wanting to learn more about you or about Capital Ministries, uh, how can they find you online? Yeah, yeah. Capmen.org is, uh, is the, the website. And I also work for JohnFoleyInc.com. You can find me on John's website. He was one of my wingmen, and he's the guy that, uh, that uh, created this great org organization about high performance, and that's who I work with when I do my my uh, keynote speeches around the country and sometimes like New Zealand and other places. It's kind of fun. So that's a, that's a way. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah. And glad to be here. Thanks, Jordan. Blessings. I hope you've been blessed by this interview. If you would like to be a part of a team that meets to debrief how you live your faith at work as you strive towards excellence, Visit b-b-t.org and click the Start Leading button to learn more about how you can start your own community workplace Bible study. To support BBT's ministry financially with a one-time or recurring donation, visit the webpage and click the Donate button at the top of the page. To learn more about Greg speaking and perhaps engage him to talk to your team, visit johnfoleyinc.com. That's J-O-H-N. F-O-L-E-Y-I-N-C dot com. Thank you so much for listening. And wherever you are, whenever you're listening, may you have a blessed day.